title for my message today is Resist Nominal Christianity, Embrace Apprenticeship to Jesus. Nominal Christianity meaning calling yourself a Christian but not necessarily living it. And what I want to say before I even dive into my material is that the message I feel like God told me to write is designed to get all of us out of our comfort zone. So it's actually designed to make you uncomfortable. And <laughs> love it. And it's whether you are a newer Christian or you've been following Jesus for decades, perhaps decades longer than you know, most people in the room, I still think the point today is to get uncomfortable. Now, with a message like that, shame can come in from the voice of the enemy of God, the devil, and say, you don't measure up, you're a failure, you've tried that before and you failed, so why even try it again? And I just wanna pray right now in Jesus' name for the voice of the enemy to be silenced, that there would be no message of shame, no message of condemnation, that everything we hear that's challenging and gets us out of our comfort zone is, yeah, I want you, as you, like the picture I get is that God is saying that stuff to us with a smile on his face. Jesus is looking at us, challenging us to get uncomfortable while smiling because he's not angry at us. He's not mad at where our life has been. He wants something better for us. And that's what he's calling us into. So I want to take you back to get things started to my sophomore year at Miami University. It was 2011, so you can do the math now and figure out how old I am in case you didn't know. It was 2011, and two semesters before, I had come in with an entire semester of AP credits that I had gotten from high school. So you'd think I was smart. But this semester, sophomore year at Miami, my GPA, my GPA, I almost said GPS, my GPA, <laughs> My GPA was 0.46. So let me break that down for you. That is four Fs and one D, okay? <laughs> and my GPA was 0.46, not because I wasn't smart, but because in that three or four month time period, I had felt like God had spoken to me and told me that he wanted me to pursue a career and a lifetime of doing ministry, of being a pastor. And once I felt that call from him, I just could not focus or be interested in my business economics degree anymore. Now, fast forward uh, 12 years, I wish I would have finished it out, that would have been great. Probably would have been helpful. I did finish, by the way. Um, He's crawling across the finish line. <laughs> you know, I finished with a decent G GPA. But the point is, I just was, you know, I was so consumed with this new vision for my future that I didn't care about anything that I was doing in the present. And I wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to do ministry. And I had this vision of what my future would look like. You know, what 21-year-old Luke Saul in 2011 was this picture of him starting this church with a few dozen like-minded people and 
growing it in homes and meeting in various places until you could raise enough, we could raise enough money to buy a building and then do church in that building, grow to a large size, buy another building, and eventually be a megachurch pastor. I wouldn't have put it in those terms, but that's what I imagined. That was, that's what I was passionate about. That's what I was excited about. And that's what I thought that the world needed more of, genuinely. I thought, man, I'm looking at a few of these churches in town that are really doing things well. We just need more of these megachurches across the world and across the city, and we'll really see the kingdom come like never before. And I had different ideas as to how you know, my particular megachurch would have been unique and maybe more impactful than some, but, but that's what 20-year-old Luke saw. That's what I saw as the future for the church. But the thing that 20-year-old Luke didn't see was what we've come to see in the last several years, and maybe probably even in the last several decades, but especially in these last five years, I would say, the dark side of the megachurch model. You know, there are many, you know, I'm not a megachurch hater. I think megachurches have done a lot of real, a lot of good for the church and for Jesus and the kingdom. I do. But there's also a dark side to it. Not everyone, but it just seems like megachurches can chew up and spit out leaders like, like we, like we've never seen before. Like, like in a way that, that takes someone who maybe started with with fierce passion and the most upright character, but through the, the long hours and the pressure and the stress, stress and the, the weariness of being in a situation like that over time, it eventually leads to burnout or to uh, moral failure or both. We've seen over and over again how megachurches can chew up and spit out the leaders that they have. And we've also seen that megachurches you know, they've, we've, they've been going now for however many years they've been going, and it doesn't really seem like the kingdom is coming in any kind of increasingly successful way. In fact, starting in 2009, church attendance across our country took a sharp dip and has been declining ever since within a straight-down nosedive starting in 2020. And you'd think, oh, well, uh, mask mandates and lockdowns and restrictions related to COVID-19 are over, so everyone's going to come back to the church. That has not been the case. There are churches, that I, I know, a, I know a, a friend who works at a mega church where they were averaging four to 5,000 people before COVID, now they're at 1,500 people. So there's a dark side to, to the mega church. And the reason for that is that I've become convinced that the megachurch model is actually the American model for church. And now, I'm not an America hater. Like they're, they're, that, That's a good thing in a lot of ways. America has contributed a lot of value to the church and to the faith. But the thing is, the world doesn't need the American model of church or the European model of church, or the African model of church. The world needs the Jesus model of church. Yeah. And Jesus gave us a model. We keep wanting to do our own thing, but Jesus gave us a model. He, he didn't say in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go therefore and make megachurches. <laughs> he 
He didn't say, go therefore and find the seven sectors of influence in society and take them all over for God. And then the kingdom will come. He didn't, you know, to take us back to medieval times, he didn't say, go therefore and through military means, conquer the nations and force them to be Christians. All these things humanity has tried, you know, in the, the church has tried over the years, none of them are what Jesus said. What did he say? Make disciples. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And so I think the world needs disciples right now. Much more than mega churches or any of that other stuff. So let's talk about what being a disciple is. Now, in order to grasp this, kind of relating back to Van's message, there's stuff we're going to have to unlearn if we're really going to grasp what it means to be a disciple. So I want to start by talking about what a disciple isn't. First, this one is pretty obvious. Going, being a disciple is not going to church. You know, almost nowhere will you hear a church leader say, hey, the epitome of your Christian commitment and experience to Jesus should be coming to a Sunday morning church service. Like, no, no pastor, hardly anywhere, would say that. But then you look at how, for many churches, the majority of their money goes into their Sunday morning service. The majority of their staffing is focused on their Sunday morning service. Their majority of their intentionality and their creativity and their effort all goes into this Sunday morning service. So no matter what you say, if you are living like the Sunday morning service is the most important thing, people are going to start equating that with what it means to be a disciple. But being a disciple is so much more than just going to church. And this disconnect that exists is why many, um, is why more and more Christian voices are calling for less of a focus on building a church and more on making disciples. Just to quote one, Mike Breen said this, if you make disciples, you always get the church. But if you make a church, you rarely get disciples. Effective discipleship builds the church, not the other way around. We need to understand the church as the effect of discipleship and not the cause. If you set out to build the church, there is no guarantee you will make disciples. It is far more likely that you will create consumers who depend on the spiritual services that religious professionals provide. Ouch is right. Secondly, being a disciple is not just being really dedicated. That's kind of what we often think. Your disciples are really dedicated, but it's possible to appear really dedicated to God while acting and thinking contrary to true discipleship to Jesus. Like if I'm really, really dedicated to my faith, but my faith looks a whole lot more like a political party or my denomination or me and what is important to me, then my actual discipleship to Jesus is probably pretty weak or fragile regardless of how dedicated I am outwardly. So it's not just being really dedicated. Then finally, this might be the most challenging one. It's not just having a relationship with God. Amen. <laughs> That's not what being a disciple is. You know, Jesus didn't say, have a relationship with me. He said, follow me. Now, of course, God wants relationship with us. He loves us. He wants to connect with us heart to heart. 
And if he could choose just one thing, if we would only like live out one aspect of our discipleship, yeah, he probably would choose relationship. But when we only think about our following of Jesus, or when we fundamentally think about it as just my relationship with God, we fall into some errors that I think you see in the American church especially. Like for one, when it's all about my relationship with God, it's all about me. It's all about my story. You know, my relationship with God, it's like God exists to make me a better father and make me a better husband and help me do, you know, be a, a light at my workplace and help me do this and me do that and me do that. His story is so much greater than me. It is so much greater than me. And if anything, my relationship with him is first and foremost to serve his story in the world. Secondly, and again, this one's going to sound offensive, especially here at our church. When we think about our relation, when we frame our discipleship to Jesus primarily as our relationship with God, we get... We, we begin to look at our relationship with God as primarily about interaction with him. You know, that like, if I'm interacting with him more in a tangible way, then I'm following him better. If there's less interaction, then I'm not following him quite as well. You know, we might not think that consciously, but that's a subconscious thought back there. And don't get me wrong. I believe in a God who wants to interact with us, heal us, reveal his manifest presence to us, speak to us constantly. The list goes on and on. But what we know from Scripture and what we know from experience is that we are going to have seasons where the interaction with God just doesn't quite feel as frequent as it used to. We're going to have wilderness seasons, even Jesus was out in the wilderness for 40 days. And when we are trained to think about our following of Jesus as like, like when we're trained to, like to um, rate it basically by and, and grade it by how much interaction we're having with him. When we have those seasons where that when that interaction decreases, we begin to question whether any of it was real at all. And really this is why a lot of people are deconstructing and deconverting their faith right now, because they had a season where God was interacting with them all the time, and they were told this is the epitome of the Christian experience, and then when they entered into a drier season, and that was gone, they felt like their faith had just fallen out from underneath them. We need a stronger foundation than just interaction with God. And again, don't hear what I'm not saying. We, we don't need to interact with God any less. It just doesn't need to be the central thing. And then finally, when we talk about, when we frame things as my relationship with God, it makes it all about something we do on our own. But we cannot do this without other disciples of Jesus. So, with all that said, if that's what it isn't, what is being a disciple? Well, to understand this, we need to, I need to give you a little bit of historical context. So, around the time of first century Israel, to be someone's disciple meant that you dedicated your life to following and emulating them. And in the Jewish context, this would be following and emulating a rabbi. Now, one thing to understand is that the average Jew was not a disciple in the first century. 
Disciples were those who had dedicated their life to the work of ministry. The average Jew, you know, just had their religion and worshiped and did what they were supposed to do, kind of like what nominal Christianity is today. Um, but what Jesus does, of course, that turns everything on its head is he says, no, it's not just some of you that are called to be disciples and do what we would call the work of ministry. It's for everybody. Everybody is called to be a disciple and make disciples. Uh, Jesus was actually called rabbi 16 times in the New Testament. And it actually is 63 if you include the term teacher, which was another way of saying rabbi in those days. And a disciple of a rabbi would carry the rabbi's baggage when they would travel places, prepare the rabbi's food to their liking. You know, I've never had anyone I've discipled prepare my food. I think I need to start emphasizing that. (laughs) Uh, A disciple, uh, they would even provide the rabbi with money for their needs at times. And a disciple could not contradict his rabbi in public or rule against his rabbi in matters of the Torah. And additionally, a disciple was even obligated to defend his rabbi against physical violence. And then in turn, the duties of the rabbi were first and foremost to teach the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, to their disciples. And he would train his disciples to emulate him and even surpass himself in knowledge and practice of the Torah. And the rabbi was also obligated to protect his disciples from heresy and from sin. And usually this relationship would happen over years where the disciple would abandon all other aspects of his life and dedicate fully to following this rabbi around, learning from him, being discipled by him, being his disciple. Uh, To get even closer to what a disciple is, let's take a look at some of the Hebrew and Greek words. So the Hebrew word for disciple is talmudim, And this is the word that is often translated into English as disciple. Another translation of Talmudim that is equally true and equally appropriate is the term apprentice. And disciple and apprentice basically mean the same thing, but I've really, I've personally gotten a lot of life and a lot of um, renewed commitment to Jesus out of putting away, not like, not like throwing away the word disciple, but emphasizing the word apprentice. And mainly that's just because the word disciple has been thrown around in Christian circles for so long that sometimes it even loses its meaning. But thinking like an apprentice, okay, that's more concrete. That's more tangible. I can understand what that would look like more on a day-to-day basis. The Talmudim describes a person like, you know, who has chosen to model all of their life after another, aka an apprentice. Now, that's the Hebrew word, but the biblical authors wrote in Greek, and so the actual, the Greek word was mathetes, and the Greek word for, that's translated as disciple, it basically means a learner or a pupil of another, so just another way of saying apprentice, and again, this should highlight to us that fundamentally, we don't have a relationship with God, fundamentally, we have a master, Fundamentally, we have a rabbi, and that rabbi loves us unconditionally and wants relationship with us, but our starting point is that we have a rabbi. So what we feel God calling us to in this next season is to discover and put our best time and energy 
into living out this idea of being an apprentice of Jesus. Like, we've only scratched the surface as leaders and staff as to what we think this is. We want to go on a journey together, all of us, to really learn, like, what would it look like to not just be an American nominal Christian, not just be someone with a relationship with God, but to be someone who was an apprentice to Jesus? That's the journey we're going on. So apprenticeship, this is, uh, apprenticeship can, you can understand it in three priority, with, as, as like three priorities. You know, when you do a deep dive into studying what Jesus modeled and taught about apprenticeship, what you can, what you'll find is basically these three distinct categories that emerge. And I need to give a shout out to Bridgetown Church in Portland. John Mark Comer heavily influenced us and actually gave us these three terms. Not gave us personally them, but taught them and we, we uh, received them from him. So three priorities of apprenticeship. The first priority of apprenticeship is to be with Jesus. So if you want to turn to Mark 3, verse 13. This is a description, an early description of what the apprentices or the disciples of Jesus did with him. So Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So first, a, the phrase I want to highlight here is that Jesus called them, called the disciples to be with Jesus. And that has not changed. We are all called to be with Jesus. And a lot of the stuff we think of when we think of our relationship with God goes into this category. We're called to hear his voice. We're called to experience his presence. We're called to spend time with him. We're called to be his friend. We're called to be with Jesus. And we're called to do that first and foremost because he loves us and we love him. But secondly, we're called to be with him because it's actually being with him that we learn how to do what he did and how to become like him. Amen. You know, it, that's how the disciples learned how to do what he did and how to become like him. It wasn't through like Sunday morning sermons like this. It was from spending time with Jesus. And so what I want to tell you is, you know, say you read the passage in, John, in the Gospel of John where Jesus shows compassion to the woman who was caught with adultery you probably would be a whole lot more likely to learn about the compassion of Jesus, not just by reading that passage, but actually by showing compassion to someone steeped in sin yourself. It's actually by imitating Jesus, who you've spent time with, who you've gotten to know, whose voice you've begun to, you've begun to recognize, whose character you've learned to understand. It's by spending time with him that we're able to imitate him, and it's in imitating him that we really live out discipleship and apprenticeship to Jesus. So the second category would be uh, the priority of discipleship would be become like Jesus. So Luke 9, 23 says this, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, again, or my mathetes, my apprentice, my learner, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So the cross was the epitome of the selflessness and the love of Jesus. 
And what Jesus is essentially telling his disciples is, if you want to be my disciple, you have to become like me, even to the point of radical, selfless sacrifice of your life. <laughs> like, there's no, you know, it's not like following Jesus, we get to, uh, you know, become like him just 50% or 60% or 80%. Now, of course, we'll never fully become like him. But the point is, like, our whole lives should be us learning and growing towards becoming like Jesus. There's never a, a stopping point. There's never a settling point. And then finally, apprenticeship to Jesus is doing the things that Jesus did. In fact, the very, I showed you an early passage of Jesus calling his disciples before, but the very first one we read in Matthew 4, verse 18 through 20, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. So in their calling to Jesus moment, Jesus makes sure to include in the same breath that you following me is not just going to be a head learning thing. You're going to be following me so that you can do what I do. And that's what he's saying to all of us. We're not just called to have a relationship with him and to grow and become like him. We're called to do the things he did. And the church, so many healthy, awesome churches, they are like all in on the be with Jesus, all in on the become like Jesus, and then uh, to the do what Jesus did. But it's the doing what Jesus did that's going to change the world. <laughs> it's, it's literally doing the things that Jesus did that's going to destroy the kingdom of darkness and bring about the goodness of the kingdom of God and all of its beauty and healing and power and justice. That's going to be what actually changes the world. And so we can't get comfortable with church, everyone. <laughs> and we can't get comfortable with church classes and trainings and worship nights and Holy Spirit nights. I love all those things. But we got to do the stuff he did, too. <clears throat> so, of course, also in the Great Commission, I mentioned this earlier. Jesus said, make disciples, therefore, of all nations. Actually, let me just read it. It's worth reading. It's a good passage in case you've never heard of it. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So what did Jesus do with his with the people that followed him around while he was on the earth, he made disciples out of them. And it wasn't just Jesus that was to make disciples. He called his disciples that he had made to make disciples and those disciples to make disciples. Fast forward 2,000 years, Jesus is looking at every one of us and saying, my destiny, my purpose for you is to make other disciples, yourself, not just your church, not just your small group or your house church, but you, Dedicate your life to making other apprentices of Jesus. So with these three priorities, we can get out of balance sometimes if we don't properly emphasize each of them. And when we're out of balance, 
we can see like kind of distinct dysfunctions that emerge because of the neglect of some of these priorities. So let me show you what I mean. First, let's take a look at what happens when a person emphasizes being with Jesus, but not becoming like him or not doing what he did. Go ahead and throw that up. So, yeah, next one. So in this scenario, again, if you look at that triangle, um, this person prioritizes being with Jesus, but not becoming like him and not doing what he did. When this is the case, my apprenticeship looks a lot like me asking, a lot like God asking to do things for me, or a self-serving apprenticeship to Jesus. And in a self-serving apprenticeship to Jesus, the thing that I'm idolizing is my own happiness. My relationship with God exists to make me happy, to give me peace and give me joy and make me feel loved. And if that's where you find yourself right now, if your relationship with God, if you've been in a desperate place and your relationship with God has just kind of kept you above water, that's okay. But God is inviting you today to take another step of growth. Next, what happens when our apprenticeship to Jesus prioritizes being, becoming like him, but doesn't prioritize being with him and doesn't prioritize doing what he did? Well, this is a self-help-focused apprenticeship to Jesus. You can throw that next one up, Denise. Yeah. Self-help apprenticeship to Jesus. And when we fall into this kind of out of whack apprenticeship to Jesus, what we're idolizing is our own personal growth. So my apprenticeship to Jesus, it looks like me applying the principles of the way of Jesus to my life so that I can grow, but there's not heartfelt interaction or affection toward God or his greater purposes for my life. It's all focused on my development. Then finally, when we only emphasize doing what he did, but we don't emphasize being with him or becoming like him, this would be a charity-focused apprenticeship to Jesus. So this is where we're idolizing making the world a better place. And don't get me wrong, I want the world to be a better place, but that's got to include loving God. And that's got to include becoming like Jesus. I don't just want um, a more just society in a secular sense. I do want a more just society, but I want a more just society in a kingdom sense. So those are kind of the most out of balance examples of apprenticeship that we can fall into. But what about when We've got two of them that are properly emphasized, but we're lacking one. So first, what about when we do prioritize becoming like Jesus and we do prioritize becoming, uh, doing what he did, but we don't prioritize being with him? This would be a performative apprenticeship to Jesus. So this would be where we are idolizing good works. And in this form, my apprenticeship to Jesus does seek to bear gospel fruit, both in my life and in the world around me. But I'm likely being motivated to do that either by a religiously inflated ego. I feel good when I feel really Christian. Some of, some of you, God's calling you to repent for that this morning. Or a desperate desire to please God because I never feel like I'm doing enough for him. 
or a crippling sense of shame or inadequacy, whatever it is, when we fall into a performative apprenticeship to Jesus, the answer is just stop trying to do for a moment and be in his presence and receive his love. Moving on, we can prioritize being with Jesus and being like him, but not doing what he did. And this would be like a missionless or a utopian apprenticeship to Jesus. This is where I'm idolizing the church. I kind of talked about this one earlier, but this is where my apprenticeship to Jesus likely reflects, you know, expressive passion for God and genuine commitment to becoming more like him. But this passion, it only surfaces when I'm around other Christians. And that's primarily because I view my faith as mainly something that's contained in church activity, or maybe it's because I just don't have any non-Christian friends because I spend all my time with the church. For some of us, what God is calling you to do is stop going to so many church activities (laughs) and start spending time having meals and being with those that are far from God. (laughs) Love you guys. Finally, we can be we can be in a place where we are emphasizing being with Jesus and doing what Jesus did, but not becoming like him. And this would be like an immature or a carnal apprenticeship to Jesus, where I'm idolizing emotional zeal and urgency for the gospel. And this one is complex, but the way it kind of looks is when I am out of balance in this way, my apprenticeship to Jesus is kind of full of fiery zeal for the lost and the broken world. And, I, and you know, I have this longing to see the kingdom spread, which is likely fueled by an active prayer and devotion life and maybe even frequent prophetic experiences and personal feelings of the Holy Spirit. But with all that good, what is likely for me is that I struggle to maintain close relationships with other Christians. And I probably struggle with fleshly lusts due to character blind spots that I've had for a long time that I haven't had a community around me to tell me that I'm doing, that I'm doing, and I have. And so um, in that case, sometimes when I speak, the words of Jesus come out, but his heart doesn't. Because I haven't become like him. I want to do what he did. I, I like being with him, but I'm not becoming like him. So, in one minute, how do you take your next step? <laughs> We're gonna, I'm just going to read these so you have them. To be with Jesus, find ways to bring God into the unspiritual parts of your day. Spend intentional time with Jesus in prayer, scripture reading, worship, etc., where he's your only priority and you're not multitasking. How to become like him. Gather regularly with other apprentices of Jesus, not just on Sunday. Uh, Take a class, SOPM, it's elective, CSSM, it's electives, Barnabas coach training, etc. Give someone close to you permission to tell you the truth about your character and maturity. Or as I like to say, have someone in addition to your spouse who can wound you. That's from a proverb. And then to do what Jesus did, um, this is a great list of, if you, if you summarize, again, this is from John Mark Comer, if you summarize all that Jesus did, you can probably put it under one of these 10 categories. So would you stand with me? (laughs) 
Several years ago, a friend of mine, many of you might remember Jim Freeberg, who was just an amazing apprentice to Jesus. He was on my heart as I was preparing this message. And what I feel God was reminding me of is that he, I don't, you know, I didn't know him for earlier parts of his life, but for the last leg of his life, he dedicated every single day to apprenticing under Jesus, doing what Jesus did, being with him, and becoming like him. And I think God showed me that because I want to be like Jim. Whenever my time is to go, it could be when I'm young, it could be when I'm old, I want to know that I'm living for what actually matters. I'm not living for the things that the world tries to distract me with. So Jesus, would you bless all of our apprenticeship to you? Would you take us on a journey to understand and learn more what that means? We love you. We just dedicate ourselves afresh to you and to this vision. Prayer teams, you can come on forward. If you're on staff, we need you today, so please come forward. Everybody, thanks for coming. See you next week.